Vigorous Steve here. So you think you're ready for some testosterone replacement therapy. You've tried everything already to increase your testosterone production naturally with dietary interventions, lifestyle changes, taking all of the over-the-counter supplements which are known to boost testosterone levels. You've even done a pituitary MRI or testicular ultrasound to see if there's any structural changes limiting the amount of total testosterone, free testosterone, bioavailable testosterone your testicles are producing. You've gotten your body fat levels down. You've tried everything already and your serum testosterone levels are still at the bottom of the reference range, but still within the reference range. So you can't get TRT prescribed. You're going to have to self-medicate to increase your testosterone levels. You're thinking about TRT. All of your friends are doing it. You're sick of driving a Pinto. You want to start driving a Ferrari and start pulling girls half your age. That's all fine and dandy, but there's a couple things you can try first. Honestly, I wish somebody told me about these two alternatives before I started dabbling with performance enhancing drugs and taking anabolic energetic steroids for testosterone replacement therapy purposes. One of the reasons I'm currently running to get my wife pregnant, but before we get into it, please like the video, leave a comment for the algorithm, and consider subscribing if you haven't already. And if you want to support the channel, you can do so by joining either the YouTube or Patreon memberships, where you can vote for upcoming deep dives or Join the weekly figures Q&A, which is always on Saturday, private for an entire hour before we go public, and it turns into a super chat, super flood. Let's see if the pituitary to the testicular signal is lacking, or if the testicular function is lacking, which is one of the reasons why your testosterone levels are so low. On your blood work, you would see with longitudinal data, if your luteinizing and follicle-stimulating hormones are chronically low, if your estradiol levels are chronically high, it's probably because your body fat levels are too high, you need to adjust that first with zinc or uh, dynomethane, calcium deglucrate, getting your body fat levels down, eating a little bit healthier, right? It sounds like a broken record, but man, you still got to mention it here and there just to make sure that we're all on the same page here. Get healthy, address your estrogen levels that way by lowering your body fat levels. If your estrogen levels are in range and your luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone are still subpar and thus your total testosterone, free testosterone, bioavailable testosterone, and estradiol levels, and DHEA, DHEA sulfate, pregnenolone, pregnenolone sulfate, are all below or at the bottom of the reference range. Let's address that with selective estrogen receptor modulators, SERMs, first. Now, I don't think that SERMs are sustainable. Clotting risks, or ocular changes, uh, changes to your blood work parameters, liver enzymes increasing, IGF-1 levels going down, they are not sustainable, but they're worth to trial for maybe six weeks to eight weeks to see if you respond to them. So you can choose between enclomiphene, which doesn't have so much clinical evidence behind it because it's a reasonably new compound. It is part of a clomid. It has two isomers, enclomiphene and zuclomiphene. And you know, with the limited scientific evidence that we have based on zuclomiphene and enclomiphene alone, um, we can extrapolate that most of the common side effects associated with clomids are related to zuclomiphene and not the enclomiphene. But if you look at the medical literature, there's basically 100 studies on enclomiphene alone. So there's not so much clinical evidence and scientific um, you know, data to pull from. So I would say use them for a short period of time. The dosing though is going to be exactly the same, 25 milligrams enclomiphene or 25 milligrams clomids, because zuclomiphene and enclomiphene have a very comparable receptor binding to the estrogen alpha and beta receptors. So I would say the 25 milligram of either or personally, I would prefer 25 milligrams in clomiphene again, because most of the side effects, especially the mental side effects, seems to be related to zuclomiphene. So if you have the choice, go with in clomiphene over clomids, right? We have to go with the times. So 
If you do that for four to six weeks, 25 milligrams before bed, your luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone should go up with time. So maybe you come from a one, two, three, four milliau per milliliter up to a six, seven, eight, maybe even 10 or 25 milliau per milliliter. This way, you know it's not the hypothalamus or the pituitary that's failing in testosterone production. It might be the testicles or still your lifestyle that you thought you were improving, but you couldn't really cut it to the point your testosterone levels increased. So if your LH and FSH goes up with a selective estrogen receptor modulator monotherapy for four to eight weeks, and thus your testosterone levels and all of your other uh, endocrine uh, sex hormones are going up, then job done, basically, right? You're combating for something that you couldn't achieve yourself with medication. There's nothing wrong with that. Still, I don't think it's sustainable. Some people stay on inclomiphene monotherapy for a year or longer, right? You have to do your blood work, do your due diligence, see if you get any ocular changes, see if you have any clotting risk by checking your clotting factors on your blood work, look into your genetic makeup, right? Is there any instances of aneurysms or blood clots, right? Please, please, guys, be careful. Maybe you're happy there. Maybe you keep it there. Maybe you feel perfectly healthy. TRT is not for you. You're just, um, you know, sticking with inclomiphene monotherapy. Totally fine. Many people do. If you want to look beyond that because of the, um, you know, issues that come along with prolonged use of selective estrogen receptor modulators, the next thing you can try is HCG monotherapy. We discontinue the inclomiphene or the clomid and we replace the signal from the pituitary to the testicles, the luteinizing hormone with human chorionic gonadotropin. Why? Because there's a combination receptor on the testicles called the luteinizing hormone chorionic gonadotropin receptor. It responds to either LH or HG. This would be the second step that you can try, which is more sustainable, in my opinion, than enclomiphene or clomid monotherapy, because there's no risks associated regarding clotting and some of the ocular changes when it comes to HCG monotherapy. And there's a lot of scientific evidence that shows that HCG monotherapy for longer periods of time for the sake of boosting one's fertility is actually very sustainable. Longitudinal data for one year, one and a half years, two years, up to 2,000 IUs multiple times per week. We start low, 250 IUs three times per week. That seems to be the lowest effective dose, the dose that sustains testicular function. When you're taking anabolic energetic steroids in a form of a steroid cycle, uh, unless you combine it with trinandrolone, uh, trestolone, right? All the progestogenic 19 nors will be, which will just shut your testicles down through a whole different pathway the progesterone receptor pathway. But if you're sticking with TRT or a, a cycle of TRT plus with maybe a level of a DHT derivative or a moderate standard cycle, I would say that 250 IOs up to 500 IOs, HCG three times per week is more than enough to sustain your testicular function. So let's start there. Let's see that if you did enclomiphene and clomid monotherapy for four to six weeks, eight weeks maybe, you see where your testosterone levels are at. That's your screenshot. Now you want to compare HCG monotherapy with the results that you got on CIRM monotherapy. Maybe CIRM monotherapy will give you higher testosterone levels and you feel better. You can always go back. But if HCG monotherapy makes you feel better because you only produce that much LH and FSH on 25 milligrams in clomiphene or clomid, then ramping up the dose of HCG over time, depending on how you respond, might yield more higher levels of your total testosterone, higher levels, more favorable levels on your estradiol levels and your neurosteroid levels, DHEA, DHEA sulfate, pregnenolone, pregnenolone sulfate, and everything else that's in between that most clinics don't really test for, unless you do a Dutch saliva test, I'll link it down below, 
With HCG, you can accomplish, in many cases, a lot more compared to SERM's monotherapy. If your testicles respond to HCG monotherapy or SERM's monotherapy, for that matter, you know that in the future, a post-cycle therapy is going to be successful. Yes, if you want to discontinue testosterone replacement therapy to get your partner pregnant, or you're going to travel all over the world and you're a little bit uh, you know, worried about bringing your prescription, which you don't have because we're doing self-prescribed TRT or HRT, uh, you might need to come off cycle and do a post-cycle therapy to recover testicular function completely. You might come back to your previous levels before you started going on this performance-enhancing drug journey. So if you see that the HCG or the SERMs are effective, then you know in your heart, you have a clear conscience that when you're ready to discontinue the testosterone replacement therapy, hormone replacement therapy, or a steroid cycle in the future, whether that's three months from now, a year from now, decades from now, you know it's going to work. You have the clinical evidence on your blood work that it's working. LH went up, FSH went up, total testosterone levels went up, and all the other hormone markers went up on SERMs monotherapy, and total testosterone went up, estradiol went up, DHA sulfate, pregnenolone sulfate, DHA pregnenolone, all went up on HCG monotherapy. Right? You can tack that off the box. Then you can proceed into TRT if you do so desire. But a lot of people get a great response from HCG monotherapy when they slowly start ramping up the dose. So you maybe start with 250 IUs three times per week for one to two weeks. You can assess how you feel. You write that in your um, you know, suit-to-be-on-TRT diary. Dear diary, today I injected 250 IUs of HCG. I've been doing this for the last two weeks, and I feel great. But I want to see... What's behind door number two? I'm going to go to 500 IOS HCG three times per week for the next two weeks and see if I feel better. You keep doing this until you feel flawless, but water retention starts to go up. This probably means that the dose of testosterone and the conversion into estradiol is unmanageable with the supplementation protocol that you have, right? Zinc, dinomethane, calcium deglucrate helps to keep serum estradiol levels in range. And there's a whole laundry list of aromatizing inhibitors you can choose from. Some of them are natural, some of them are medicinal. If you really want to go that high on your HCG monotherapy, you might want to have some aromacin on standby to keep your estradiol levels in range. But as you're ramping up the dosages of HCG, let's say you end up at 1,000 IUs every single day and your testosterone levels are slightly superphysiological on the masculine reference range that goes up to 1,000 or maybe even 1,100 nanograms per deciliter, not the feminist reference range, it's what, 830 nanograms per deciliter, right? Maybe in Canada or Europe or Australia, that's the reference range they follow there. But in most masculine countries, even in Thailand, I think the reference range up to like 890 nanograms per deciliter. Pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. It should be 1,000, 1,100 nanograms per deciliter. Let's just, you know, cut the crap. Medical field, please. 1,000 to 1,100 nanograms per deciliter. That's the upper reference range. And if men want to bring their levels to the upper reference range, just let them do it. So again, let's say you ended up at the highest dose of HCG at 1,000 IOs every day, or maybe 2,000 IOs every other day, which is clinically recognized for fertility purposes, and your estradiol levels are unmanageable with over-the-counter supplements, a low dose of 6.25 milligrams aromacin two times, three times per week, do it with blood work, check your levels before you add in the aromacin, and then checking your blood work levels again after you add in the aromacin, and then see how much more adjustments you need to make based on your serum estradiol levels, right? It's not rocket science. We're already going through this route of doing frequent blood work to manage and manipulate and optimize our hormone panel to do the work.
please, and it's for yourself, not for me, I don't really care, but you should do your due diligence by doing blood work frequently if you decide to go this route. If your HCG dose is that high, but it's sustainable, you feel great, your total testosterone levels went up to 1,100 nanograms per deciliter. Some guys even get 1,500 nanograms per deciliter because the rate limiting factor wasn't their pituitary or their testicles. It was maybe outside stressors. Again, maybe their lifestyle changes weren't intervening enough for their testosterone levels to get up that high. And then you replace that lack of effort. Um, again, sometimes it's out of your hands with the medication. There's no problem with that if you do your blood work and you manage your life accordingly. I'll leave it here. Thank you guys so much for watching. You can find everything that I'm associated with down below in the YouTube description section. All of my affiliates and sponsors are there. I have more on my website, vigorsteve.com. Free articles for your reading pleasure. Vigorous crew, you guys know what to do. A friend of OS for you guys. Follow me on Instagram and TikTok at vigorsteve. Thank you guys so much for watching. And I'll see you in the next video about how to actually design your first steroid cycle.